Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. All sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it on. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Grid. Today, I have a very special guest. It is investor, movie producer, high-stakes poker player. Yes, Bill Perkins, the author of the new book, Die With Zero, Getting All You Can From Your Money. So to find a hand for this pod for Bill, I called over a lot of archives, Poker Star Shack Cage, The Big Game, High Stakes Cash and Poker Go. There were so many options, even considering some of my faves had already been taken. For instance, his memorable ace-five suited bluff against the movie star Shannon Elizabeth or another successful shark cage bluff with queen 10 against Ike Caxton. We did settle on ace eight offsuit, which Bill played in a six figure pot on poker after dark against Antonio Esfandiari. Going through all those Bill hands though, I couldn't help but recall a twist on that old poker saying that in order to play well, you must be willing to die with zero. Hello, Bill. (laughs) How appropriate. (laughs) You remember that saying. Right. You definitely have to hammer micro edges and it may not necessarily be the, the mathematical edge, but the edge that you know your opponent will fold, or at least you think he will fold. Sometimes you're firing in the pot looking like a madman and you know it may be the slight, slight edge that 51% of the time he's going to fold and you just got to fire. Yeah, spoken like a blackjack player as well. So <laughs> hey, <laughs> I got to ask, um, what do you remember about this huge hand against Antonio? Because you guys have had so many hands together that do they blur together? Yeah, they definitely they definitely merge. But, the, you know, there's a there's a feeling of we want to punish each other. We want to catch each other bluffing and, and inflict pain. And we want to bluff and, you know, show bluffs and inflict pain. And so when it's televised, it, it gets a little more what I call squirrely, you know, some 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 a lot of non-standard poker plays. Right. A lot of a lot of more um un- playing the player than your cards, a lot more intuition on the relationship, the metagame that's going on between he and I. So that's what really stands out more than any particular hand. I got that vibe. And that's why it's funny watching a Doug Polk video about this hand, because, you know, I, I really enjoy a lot of Doug Polk videos. But it's funny that he usually does ignore that metagame, re- live reads, all of that stuff, and just focus on like the game theory of the hand. Pure. That's all that he talks about. And it makes sense right. because he's doing it for an audience that obviously don't know the intimate relations of your your history and all that. I mean, obviously, you want to have some sort of fundamental poker play going on, but you can throw away the charts, right? Like we, we're looking at betting lines. What do they normally do in these betting lines? Like what's the feel? Is he trying to show a big bluff on TV? Televised poker brings out, especially in those high stakes games, brings out the wild in everyone, right? There's a couple of people who clam up. They get nervous. They don't want to look like silly on poker, right? They're very nervous about their reputation. And you have guys like myself and Antonio that just want to go crazy, right? We want to go psycho. <laughs> on TV. And so that that plays into how we play the hand. And then there's also, well, does we do want to win? 
How cycled does he want to look? How does he want to win? Does he want to play? You know, when is he going to tighten up? When is he going to loosen up? You know, th- those type of things are going on. And so what's going on at break and where they are and their stack sizes and, and, and what's happened recently all factors into that. And it's also like a game of survival because you mentioned that a lot of people clam up on TV and others just, you know, go bananas. And clearly the latter category are the ones who are likely to get the invitations back and continually. High stakes poker on TV is entertainment, right? And we're trying to we're we're trying to win money and entertain at the same time. And and threading that needle is sometimes very difficult. You might be very entertaining, but then you lose, you know, or you're winning and you're not entertain, you know, like you're not as entertaining, that type of thing. So it's a balancing act. Who's the all-time greatest at threading that needle? Wow. I think Rick Solomon is. He's just plays wild, you know, tends to win, is entertaining, a lot of fun to watch. I think he threads that needle very well. So in this particular hand, it was um, the refurbished Poker After Dark on Poker Go. And it started with a limp under the gun to 100 at 5,100, an Annie game as well. Antonio isolated to 600 with, well, we'll reveal later for those of you who don't know the hand history. And um, you called in position, right? I called in position. There was a player called, I believe, ahead of me. I knew this was type with an Annie hand and, and the type of game we have. We're going to have a lot of kind of almost bomb pots, right? Where people just have their cards. They're somewhat reasonable or have a high card in there. They're going to play those cards and then suss themselves out, figure out where they stand post-flop. Yeah, and you had Ace 8 off, which I said in the intro. And the, the blinds also ended up getting in there. So you actually had four players. The, 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 the limper actually folded. So you had four players going into the hand, and it, it came out 10, 6, 8 with two clubs. And you, by the way, had ace-8 with no clubs. I had a piece of the flop. I mean, we're in a multi-way pot, and it's pretty dangerous. So we're gonna, I'm going to look at see how other people are playing. I know Antonio, whether he's connected with the flop or not, he's, he's going to be a guy who's going to put pressure. So I'm going to discount what he has in these hands. And, he, and you know, I, I might even probe him, you know, later on and see how strong his hand is and take it from there, you know. So going multi-way, I want to like thin the herd with all the smaller pairs and stuff like that out and maybe even some of the weaker tens out later in, in later streets. But my, my goal when I flop a piece of that flop, that's not like, an, 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 you know, ace eight or, you know, eight, eight or some sort of, and it's just really to stick in there, see the turn and then kind of, you know, thin the herd. So what happened was that it did check to Antonio. You're in position. Um, Antonio bet, bet 1600, so about half pot. And everybody called. Yeah, I mean, it's that type of game, right? We're on TV. I think everybody caught like a small piece of it. Um, if I remember well, you know, it's one of those hands like when you're playing like these kind of hands that are not right. You know, guys don't have aces, kings, and jacks. So they have all these small middling cards, right, that are there, straight drawers, gutters, whatever. Like every everybody has a little bit of hope on a flop like that, the way it was played pre-flop. So nobody's going anywhere with the size of the pot and the bet that's going on. And being on TV. Yeah, that's right. And that's exactly what happened. And then the turn came the brickiest of bricks, a two of hearts, so an offsuit deuce. And it checked again to Antonio, who bet about 6K. Um, and then it was on you. And I, I've seen you do this in a lot of um, televised poker hands. You just love raising in position. Just um, putting pressure, Right. Like, I, I don't think he has that strong of a hand and just putting pressure on opponents. Like sometimes I'll have a hand and, and they'll freak out and call. Right. Sometimes they'll they'll discretion, you know, they, they'll fold better hands or, you know, I'll have like a complex drawer or something like that. 
and and sometimes I get I get a read kind of on how, the strength of the hand and how much I can bet on the river if I get there right on something that's unseen. And so I I I like betting in those spots. You know, I don't do it as often now because now it's kind of like oh he's always betting right in in this scenario. But on TV against Antonio, I'm going to send a probe out, and I, I sent the probe out. That's right. You made it 20K about. And then he did call and the river became another six, actually bringing a third club. So it's a 50K pot and he does check to you. And then do you remember much about how you were feeling at that moment? Were you like, I'm getting him off a 10 or just? Whatever it is, I was firing that river no matter what. And the question was sizing. And so I went with a kind of quasi polarized spot, you know what I mean? Just like bet a little bit larger, make it feel like he's going to hurt uh, if he, if he calls represents some strength. I mean, I just put some in a, in a weird spot. Like, you know, I got a six, I can have a flush, you know, I, I you know, who, who knows what I have in my hand at that point. Antonio, he could, even with an over pair, he could lay it down in that spot, you know, or, or he gets sticky. Like Antonio, one thing Antonio does not like to do on TV is get bluffed, right? He just hates it. So I, I sized up because I know that he doesn't, he just doesn't like that. And I was like, and when I bet inside my head, I was thinking, crap, I didn't bet enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's sitting there thinking about, it. I was like, I didn't bet enough. He is, he's going to call me. He's going to call me. He's going to call me. So anyway, that's what happened. I don't remember if he called or folded or, you know what I mean? You, you know, you said, hey, I want to go over this hand. I don't remember if he called or folded. So I'm waiting for the reveal. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Well, you know, he did seem to have like a very difficult time making this decision. He actually like kind of like, you know, toyed with his chips. Like he was, you know, just about to call. Then he says donation because I love you. But he doesn't actually even call the bet yet. Um, he's trying to get a read he loves doing that the whole the hey you can have it and he doesn't call he's waiting for me like i'm used to his antics right like i'm playing cash games with him he's got a lot of antics he's a magician that's what he does he likes to read people and stuff like that so i'm just kind of sitting there here you know here he goes you have no idea what happened to this 160k pot but actually you did lose the pot he did after a really long tank um decide to call with king 10 offsuit yeah. And yeah, no club, I believe. And so. a lot of times in the cash games with Antonio, specifically with Antonio, the first hand we get into, it doesn't matter if I have it or not. I'm bluffing. I, I'm just always bluffing him, whatever. And then he thinks I'm upset. I mean, now he's going to watch this eventually and whatever. And then I'm just like, I'm going to really cash in later. I'm going to smash him later because he thinks I just want to get a bluff through. Uh, and so it is what it is. You know, you're so good natured about it. I did see the chat in the Doug Polk video and there were some people who felt that Antonio, like Doug didn't say anything about it. And when I watched it, it just seemed like two friends with a higher level of gamesmanship as well. But um, some people really felt that he was um, angling a little bit by like putting the chips in and then taking them back out. That's just like normal stuff for you guys because of your relationship. Yeah, and I think I think there's a little bit, you know, in a cash game, on TV, the entertainment factor, there's just a little bit more leeway. You know, there's errors, people betting out of turn, doing things like there's just it's just a lot of excitement. The lights are on you. People are in your ear telling you, you know, move over, show your whole cards, you know, things like that. I think, you know, is he running games and trying to get information? Of course he is. Is it more acceptable in this format? Yeah, you don't hear, you, no, you know, I'm not complaining. No one else is complaining. If not, we would just stop it. But I think it's, I think it's interesting that it happens and I think it's entertaining. So it's fine. Now, Antonio is a good friend of yours, right? Yes. 
I've heard that he's one of the best at things like prop betting and lot and thinks. I heard he's really legendary at it. What what would you say is like the biggest thing he taught you about um, poker and betting? I think more it's like he's more of a tells guy, uh-huh. right? You, you notice he like he likes to take time and stare at people, make you feel uncomfortable, try and like, and he's very good at intentionality. Like, would this person do this with this hand, this spot, you know, and kind of sussing you out. And how would you behave if you had this hand? Like, would you be this calm or would you be smirky if you hit your flush or your trips? Or would you be stoic if you, you know, would you be stone faced, et cetera? So Antonio's pretty good at that, figuring out, you know, looking at your body position, these type of things. So I, I think that's where he's very, very good. And did he teach you something about that that helped you win money in poker down the line? I mean, I just from observing him, you know, a magician doesn't like to give away his tricks, right? <laughs> but, you know, just talking to him and, and over the years, just seeing what he's doing, you know, I've, I've, I've learned from that. And, you know, I have a habit, like poker is a super social game for me, right? And I, I, I loosen up and I'm talking. How I'm putting my chips in or whatever, there's some clear, clear uh, uh, signals of strength or weakness, right? that people over, you know, would get a lot of edge over. But in, in TV, sometimes, you know, those change, right, on what's going on. But Antonio probably goes a couple levels deeper. And so people told me about it, and it's like, okay, you can have fun, whatever, but when you're doing A, B, and C, make sure you're consistent, right? Like, so when you're putting the chips in a pot, be consistent. When you're doing X, be, be consistent. Why? And I forget them right now. I should go home and study, but, right? And then when it's a big pot and a decision, don't, especially with like an Antonio, don't, don't say anything, you know, look at the cards, do math, do primes in your head, whatever, you know, that type yeah, of Yeah, you can be, you can be entertaining after he falls, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. But sometimes I just can't help myself and I just want to have fun for the cameras. <laughs> I can't help myself. Yeah, and I, I did watch a video actually by the Poker Tells guy. Um, I think it was Zachary Elwood who made the video. Yeah. Um, he wrote a couple books on Poker Tells. So you're aware of the video as well. Correct, correct. Yes. A lot of it was from old footage. So you're saying you like watched the video and kind of like. Yeah, yeah. It's very old footage, et cetera, what's going on. There's still lots of information that that's coming off, right? Um, especially like if you're paying attention and the change, you know, from one one demeanor to another demeanor, right? People can pick that up, but you better be accurate, right? Like you got to be at least uh, 60, 30 on, on these things to, to use them effectively, I've been told. And there was one time I actually, I was like, hey, when you have this hand, you're this way. When you have this hand, you're this way. And I actually did the opposite because I knew people were picking up on it. So you got to be careful. Um, nice. Yeah. I believe that you were more talkative and entertaining when you had it. Is that right? I yeah. And like you're fine, yeah. you're easy, whatever, back in the day. But this this was even just the way I put the chips in the table. Oh, wow. Right. And somebody noticed? Kind of like the throw it in the air, whatever. Like, okay, you're betting, you're gambling. You don't have a made hand. You don't have whatever. You might have a draw or something or or, or weak, you know, weak pair, right? As opposed to you're placing them. It's like, oh, you're confident. Like, let's go to war type of hand, right? Which gives off a lot of information. Like, so if they have like the super nuts, they know they can get paid more money. And if they, if they you know, if they have nothing, they know not the bluffier. Right. Well, I mean, I really admire the um, desire to like be entertaining while you're playing, even if it costs you a little bit of money. And I, to me, it kind of brings in one of the concepts of your book, Die With Zero, that for those of you who haven't read it and are listening, it's a big concept of that book that Bill just wrote is that you can quantify the value of emotional experiences, travel experience with friends and family, and that by doing this early and precisely, you can have a more fulfilling life. 
Now, bringing this point to poker, because I think it gets overlooked in poker, how much is it worth the taunt equity in a hand like this? Where Oh, man, it's... It, it's great. Like hands I bust Antonio, <laughs> you know, you live, they live on my mind for, forever. And, and, you know, the stories, et cetera. I mean, overcoming obstacles is like one of the greatest joys in life. You get in shape, you win an award, you get straight A's or you get a promotion, right? Busting Antonio, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's overcoming an obstacle and having fun doing that and being able to taunt him feels really good. Sorry, Antonio. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I kind of feel like if you had successfully bluffed him, you might have remembered this hand more. So it's like a positive yeah. reinforcement that, yeah. Fewer successful bluffs against Antonio, but very good paydays after those bluffs, you know, because he just he just doesn't believe like getting bluffed on TV to him, I guess, is the worst. Right. By some amateur bluffing his pants off is just I don't know. It's, it's painful for him. So he's sticky and i didn't bet enough i should have bet like 2x pot ah yeah god he might have still called though after after asking you all those questions i think it's an important actually lesson for people especially if they're looking to be less nitty in big spots because you know poker is not just about winning money it's also about you know being your best self and showing how you can dig deep and make you know crazy plays even when there's a lot of pressure on so i I think the philosophy actually could be useful for a lot of people, especially if they err on the nittier side. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people in nits out there. They're just like, if they're betting big, it's just such a stat favorite that they have it. You know, as you get into like the higher pros or the riskier players, or whatever, I might fire an all in and not have have error, right? Just it's the only way I can win. And I think like people tend to fold all but the you know ultra 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 premiums, and it's like the odds that they have those are they're gone. Yeah. And what I'm getting at is that maybe the way to convince people to be less nitty sometimes is not by showing them the math, but by telling them like, how awesome are you going to feel if you pull off this bluff against a pro in this spot? Yeah. It's, it's the emotional side of it. Like the emotional reward side, it's powerful. You know, we're, we're emotional creatures. Um, and so if, if that helps you, helps you balance your game more than, then go for it. Like when you push that through, and you've shown that you have the cojones, the steel, the intestinal fortitude. You woman up for all you women poker players out there and you put it on the line and they they can't take the pressure. It feels great. Love it. And your, your book does focus on why, why to value life experiences more than material things because they replay in your memory. Um, what poker memory has replayed itself to you the most? Gosh, what was it? It was the mini one drop 100K. I was chip leader for a bit, came to the table. And I just felt really good uh, getting there. I think we were at two tables and I was actually to the point where I was tired. I wanted to go home and see my girls. I was like, I, re- I really don't care. I was like, I just want to go home. I've, I've done enough. I've gotten to this point. This is really psycho. <laughs> and, and I was like, I want to get here. So I got pretty aggressive and we're bust- just busting cats, right? We're just busting people, you know? They were like marginal spots, like spots you would normally fold, but I would I would call and, you know, a little luck both ways, holding and, and getting there and busting Brandon Stevens. Sorry, Brandon called, called you. I called him. He had pocket sixes. I think I called him a king queen. Of course the king is coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? King queen, you know, he gets busted and I just keep going, going. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm with Antonio. Nope. There's four-handed Antonio, myself, Tony who won it. And I forget who the fourth player was. Somebody can go in the archives and pull it up. But that was a very memorable experience. Uh, yeah. At the time, especially since probably 
20 times better than I was back then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Getting there, you know, is more feel and, and, and intuition than, you know, GTO and cards and proper play, et cetera. That was a really good, good experience. And especially since like literally the day before I was just ready to go home. I just, I just wanted your to go girls. Home. Yeah, yeah. I just want to go home and see my girls. It's just like, oh man, poker tournaments are grueling, man. They're, they're long. Like it's just a lot of days, you know, they, they have these four and five days events. I'm like, oh my God. You know, I mean, for, for a professional, it's like, oh, I'm going to work. This is what I have to do. But for somebody who has a, a day job or another job, right, and kids and family, et cetera, that's a lot of time away. Yeah, that's why a lot of these bigger high roller events are like two or three days. Terry, who, you know, I, I lobbied him hard. I was like, you've got to stop with these. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, if you want business people to come play poker, you can't have four or five day events, you know. Um, where are you hanging out now, by the way? Because I, I saw Dan Lazarian walk by earlier. Yeah, he just walked in, peeped in. He likes he likes popping in. Uh, we're in we're in Capri, Italy, right now. We just uh, came here from Greece and hanging out to the fourth, just enjoying 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 Italy. Um, we came via Croatia, so everybody keeps asking. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, Croatia is open for business, and you have to have a COVID test within 48 hours of coming into Croatia, and then other EU countries. Uh, under the current guidance, will let you in if you have been in an EU EU country uh, for 14 days. So go to Croatia, do your time, stay COVID free, and you can now free to move about the union. Hi. So you got your life experiences. I mean, you did, by the way, just get in, engaged. So congratulations on that as well Thank as your you. books. So it's like a celebration. Yeah, it's a big celebration. It's been you know we've worked hard brick by brick to build our relationship. It's been wonderful. It's been life-saving. Um, I really enjoy it. And we just took it to the next step. By the way, the part I, I enjoyed most about Die With Zero is your focus on young to midlife. For those of you who haven't read the book, you, you Bill, in the book argue that money has incredible utility at the age range of about 26 to 35. And yet, because of life expectancies and other factors, the average age of inheritance is much older than that, like 60. Yeah. When the door to certain experiences might shut. And when I read that, it struck me that 26 to 35 is also within the range of peak fertility, especially for women. I think a lot about in America, our lack of childcare and parental leave policies. And when I read with Die With Zero, I was like, wow, I could actually use Bill's argument here to explain to people why you need to support working parents more with like childcare and parental leave and all that kind of stuff. One thing I say all the time is stress is transferable. It's one of the easiest things to transfer. Right. I, I think, um, you know, when mothers have children, they always talk about, you know, the, the child can read the stress and your emotional mood, your kids throughout their life. can Like if something's wrong with mommy and daddy, you don't have to say the words. They know. Right. You don't even have to be fighting. They know if you're stressed out at work. Times are hard. They know. And that stress is transferable. And so I think that taking care of and nurturing our future generations is a great investment. How it's done. What's the proper execution of that strategy? I don't know. You know what I mean? I have some ideas. I'm not the expert. I've read, you know, I've read a lot of studies, but I'm for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I hadn't never heard that argument made in that way about, you know, supporting people in that age range because they have so many options and obviously money often gives you more options, right? Yeah. I mean, just the bottom line, I'm, I'm, you know, my book is more about the optimization of your life. And so, you know, I talk about, you know, health and mental decline and also attitude changes. And so like once you reach peak uh, physical maturity, you plateau for a bit and then you're in decline. And so that, and then you're in, you know, mental decline, et cetera, all these declines that are going on and also your attitudes. And so there are seasons for experiences, right? 
And that's true for you and that's true for your kids. And so your ability to convert money into experiences, even the experience of buying stuff, right? So we'll include all experiences, very broad. As you get older, that money become, has less utility to you. And so to the point where you're in your deathbed, you can't move and a trillion dollars on top of your head does nothing for you, right? At the extreme. There's a age range where you are at maximum potential to convert money into experiences, right? You get dollar for dollar experience point for the dollar you spend. Just use myself as an example. Like when I went to Paris, I love walking around Paris. I would walk around Paris 12 miles a day with a backpack on. About six today. Paris is half the, half the value to me in terms of experiences and things I get to do, and whatever. And that kind of correlates into net fulfillment. So that ride, that ride of Paris is 50% of what it used to be. And so if I delay a Parisian trip to 60, it's not as if I'm not going to enjoy Paris, right? I, I may or may not, but it's not going to be as enjoyable. And if I'm looking at the totality of my life, I'm not optimizing. Same is for your kids. Waiting till you die to give your kids money all the things they can do and the effort, et cetera, and the, and, the, and the memories they can create and the memory dividends, you know, you want to optimize their life just as much as you optimize yours. So I, I'm just like, these principles apply. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, interesting. And is there anything that you feel like couldn't or shouldn't be quantified? I think things that, that they can be bounded, right? Like there's certain emotional things like, am I going to feel this way or am I going to feel that way? I don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of variables. But I think as long as you, you, you get off autopilot, like I think a lot of us, whether you're a poker player or a business person or whatever, you're just grinding and you just get good at this grind. And that's the habit. And you form habits that make you good at that. Right. And you kind of disassociate, you know, you're practicing that part of your life, you know, eight hours a day, nine hours a day. You're up maybe, I don't know, 16 hours a day, if that. Right. I, I, I don't know. So let's say you're 16 hours a day. You got to groom yourself. You got to brush your teeth you know, go to the bathroom, you got to feed yourself. So like you, you have so much attention to this grind making money, you're not really paying attention to your life and the experiences you want to have at each stage in your life. And you get on this autopilot, right? And then, and then pretty soon the youthful you that was like, hey, I want to go to work and I want to make money because I want to do X, Y, Z, 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 X, right? The next thing you know, you're just going to work to go to work. You don't even know it. It's kind of, I've been using the example of like driving home, like from a familiar route. You don't even know how you got home. You made all the right turns. You stopped at the light. You don't hit anybody, but you just got home. You couldn't tell if there was a man naked on the side of the street or not. You know what I mean? You don't know. You're just, you're just getting there, right? You listen to a song or whatever in your home, in your garage. And what I don't want people to do is have that be their 30s to their 60s. Turn around, look back and go, what the hell? Yeah. I missed out on all these things that I went on, all these stores and adventures along the way because I was on autopilot. Yeah, living more deliberately. And it's funny because I, I believe the New York Times said that you're, they liked your book, but that it was an awkward time because of the coronavirus with the title, Die With Zero. But I, um, you know, I kind of looked at it a different way, that it's actually a really good time in certain ways because everybody's habits have been kind of like, you know, thrown up in the air, which allows people this unique opportunity to radically transform there are habits, at least that happened to me. I don't know, but it seems it seems that way. You know, people can't buy the things that they used to. They don't work in the same way. Um, there's just been a lot of changes, and I certainly wouldn't wish this on the world no. at all. Uh, definitely wish it hadn't happened. Lots of death and destruction. But um, at the same time, it does give this opportunity to be like, I was doing this wrong, and now it's obvious. Chaos breeds opportunity, 
right? And so out of this chaos, right, what do you get out of it? You get a lot of time to self-reflect. You break habits. Like if you're going to Starbucks every day and lighting money on fire in Starbucks, whatever your habit is, and, you know, I'm not anti-Starbucks, but I'm just saying, like, those choices and those habits are broken. And so now you have time to, like, reassess what it is and get in touch with, like, okay, when this thing ends, what do I really want? What do I really miss? What do I want out of life? You know, because, you know, we're going to endure, right? Human beings endure. That's what we're designed to do. That's what we're built to do. That's what we're involved to do. So, and then after we endure, there'll be periods of, you know, thriving will come. But what does thriving mean for you? What experience, what experiences equal thriving to each individual person? And I think, you know, people are, are, are planning and thinking about it in, in this, you know, very difficult time. But I think if you are doing that, you will come out better. You know, you will come out better just from a life experience way. It might, it might be something simple, like I really don't need Starbucks, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I don't need X or I don't need Y. Or look at, you know, some people who are fortunate to still be working or having input, they're like, look at all this money I've saved. Where the hell was that money going? You know, and then you sit down and piece of paper out and spreadsheet and like, holy schmoly, you know, that, that type of thing. Or, you know, what do I want? Or these are relatives or people I haven't spoken to in a while. Now that we're Zooming, I really want to get in touch. And like, why did I let this relationship decay over time? So I think that's going on all over the country. Of course, there's a lot of other chaos going on in the country, but I, I think that aspect of it is good. I agree because you don't, even if you're, you might be the most intelligent, self-reflective person out there, but until you're really like forced to change your habits, there might be just things that you don't see. I certainly feel like that happened to me. Like you mentioned the whole spending habit thing that until this, I didn't realize, because I always thought like, you know, I justified it. I was like, hey, you know, I fritter away money on all these like nice lunches and coffees out and I feel like it's good because I'm getting out of the house and, you know, I'm so, I work from home. So I'm, it's like, it's just good to get out. But. Then you realize what you're saying that, you know, you buy when you have extra time, you buy experiences. I think it's it really has hit home recently. I'm not really big on telling people what to spend the money on. It's like as long as you consciously have decided that this is worth it and you've weighed it. Right. Like you're like, oh, I can be doing this or I can be do that or I can spend my time doing this, that. And you're aware and you're on autopilot. Then that's the right decision for you. There's no real judgment on how anybody lives their life and what path they choose. It's just that make sure that you're consciously choosing it. What concept from the book do you feel like is most important for the average poker player? Oh, wow. Concept specifically for poker players. It's got to be time bucketing, right? It's really, really like thinking about periods of your life because like poker, poker player life is crazy. It's a lot of hours. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. You know, there's few people that have a great hourly earn, but the total number of hours putting into playing poker is, is pretty insane. And it's also stressful, raises your cortisol levels. And so you got to be stoic about that and not like get your health. And so I would say time buckets and health, time buckets and health, because you have an activity where you're sitting for like an ungodly, unrecommended amount of hours, right? As a professional, you're spending a significant amount of your time in this realm, you know, eking out what the money you have, right? And if you look at your total hour, hourly calculating that out, you know, it's a lot. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a lot of hours and in, in, in figuring it out. And so what happens is, is that because you need to sleep and because of the stress and because you need to learn and because you need to study and because, you know, you got to go where the games are. And if they're going 10 hours and the fish is there for 10 hours, like me, you got to stay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so the rest of your life is like zoom, 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 zooming by. Right. 
And if you don't have those experiences that are meant for your 20s or 30s or whatever, and they go by, you're never having them. And then what was the point of the money? To what end? Right. Very important lesson for poker Someone players. Someone might be, oh, maybe this isn't for me or maybe whatever. Or maybe they waited out in the stress, but it's like, yeah, but I can play from, from Denmark or wherever I am and I get to travel and then offsets it. So as long as you're thinking it through and you're getting the experience you want out of life for, for this time period in your life and it matches what you've consciously thought, then I'm like, go for it. But if you consciously think of it and it doesn't match, make some changes. What about Capri, Italy? What's it like there? Are you, um, what kind of experiences can you have there? And are you playing any poker? We've only been playing big two. I don't know if anybody knows Pasoli, the big two game. But Dan, and, and, and we've been playing um, chess, but Dan won't play me speed chess anymore. It's like, he's just like, no, he gets too frustrated. I actually, uh, Magnus Carlsen was in Croatia. And I was like trying to get a bullet stag match versus Dan and him. But they said, there's no time odds we could give Dan that, Magnus wouldn't win unless it was like 30 seconds to 10 minutes. No, 30. No, 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 no. 30 seconds to Magnus would definitely win. I think you mean like. No, you don't think you could flag him in 30 10. seconds if he just like a dry game? Oh, no, 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 definitely not. No, I mean, well, actually, I, now that now I'm sensing that there might be a potential bet, so I should probably should overstate <laughs> my case. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we've just been playing chess and, and, and big two, which is a fun game. And, and really, we're just kind of enjoying it. It's very beautiful. The landscapes are great. The island's great. You know, culture's great. The food's great. We're just kind of just trying to relax and, and enjoy life. I've been playing time odds with uh, Dan Smith, who's very good at speed chess. He's still 10-1. I get, I get one minute. He gets one minute, I get 10. Or no, 50. He's still and one and gone? a half to two to one game. So he'll win two to my every one. You could try 30 oh, he seconds won't, to he won't let me minutes. do that. He won't go below 50. He has too many. He's very close to flagging. I just need to get a little bit better. Wait, he's not there though, is he? Dan, Dan Smith's not there. So you're doing it on, online. We play online. Oh, online. okay. Yeah. No, I'd be happy to play some of those games with you too. They sound kind of fun. I did want to ask you about chess actually, because I, I know that you're getting more into it. I've played some games against you on chess.com. You were in a choker tournament on chess 24. That was a combination of chess and poker. And you even had a live tournament in the works for Houston. So did you, yeah. did you intuit this, this massive chess boom a couple of years ago when you got more into it? I don't know. I, I think I'm one of those guys who gets addicted to puzzles, like puzzles that are hard, but not impossible. Right. I think that's what chess is, right? Like it's, it's, it's hard enough to keep you interested, but not impossible. Right. And I, I'm just one of those guys that gets addicted to it. And so, and I really wanted to uh, promote the game of chess and we were going to have this big tournament. We had all set it up. We, we teamed up with chess.com and COVID it. So that was the end of that. Right. And we, we delayed it. I think it might even get delayed again. It's now uh, going to be tied to another event in January, but based on what's going on in the good old US of A, that doesn't seem likely right now. That's unfortunate, but I love chess. The interest is still there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I had to dial it back. Um, actually, the notifications on my phone to make moves with all the games, like my family went eight. I really got addicted to it. And I have to had to shut it down. As a matter of fact, I have a, a phone time bet with Dan right now, five hours a day, 35 hours a week, basically. And for every hour you're over, it's ten. It's $10,000. We just net against whatever each hour is. And he's getting crushed because he keeps playing 5-5 five, five chess on his phone. <laughs> I was like, you're on your phone six hours? Like you have to go under one day to make up. It's like 521, 621, whatever. And so this bet will eventually help both of us with our quality of our life and being present. You know what I mean? And not playing games on our phone and whatever. 
But we were literally at dinner and he's in there, you know, playing a five, five. In the end, we'll both have a better quality of life by having better balance in our lives because of this bet. But right now, Chess is helping me with Dan this first week. I'm going to get some money. I got to make you some more money. I got to, I'll get his handle, I'll play some games, make you some more money. I think in the end, what's going to happen is both of you are going to have to download chess.com to a browser. You know, the, the convenience of your phone and having this computer, you know, it's like in your hand, it's like, oh. And, you know, he hasn't turned off his notifications. So it's like challenges and things. And he's, I think he's addicted to puzzles too. I think we, I think, I think human beings are addicted to puzzles in varying, various degrees. I love chess puzzles too. Chess studies, chess puzzles. What do you like studying more, chess or poker? I think poker, I don't know. I mean, I've had a couple lessons from, from Lawrence and I've gotten better because of it. I think poker, just how complex intuitive and 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 the applications of it the ev of plays the probabilistic nature of poker is what i love right uh and the limited information of that game so i really like studying limited information games as opposed to fully open transparent games you know more it's like i love chess i love studying i love i love learning and, and and understanding this and understanding the strategy and then Practicing tactics, right? Like first it's strategy and then tactics, right? You got chess, chess is very, very much tactics, but if you have bad fundamentals, whatever, that's how you wind up in situations where you get these tactics used against you. Yeah, you you and Dan also have this like built-in advantage in poker of having bankroll where, you know, that really helps because it allows you to take um, brave decisions that would m- force other people to dig a lot deeper or get properly staked. Whereas chess, really everybody's in that same field. No brave decisions, right? There's only correct. There's only correct place, right? That can also hurt us, though. In lower stake games, I will just we just a record amount of buy-ins we can lose. <laughs> like you know what I mean? If if you can get damn Blazarin in a five ten game, you're gonna win like fifty buy-ins. It'd be like you playing with your kids in a one cent two cent game. You don't care how many pennies you lose, right? And so if you get Dan in the game like that, it's just like it's going to rain money. <laughs> He's going to rain money on us. It can be a detriment at, at certain times, right? Because you can get bored. You're absolutely right. That was some words of wisdom. My brother taught me um, poker. He said, the best thing you can do, Jen, is get a high stakes player in a low stakes game. For sure. <laughs> Flame blind hands, ghosty, I'll call you. I don't care. Let me see what I have now. <laughs> you know, it's it's just craziness, right? You know, some of the poker, a wing of the poker community can be fairly nasty to some of the, the business people that come on or whatever. And they, they, they can give a rat's ass. The stakes aren't high enough for them to study or whatever. They want to play. They want to have fun. They're at their level. They know their game. But when guys are like, hey, you can't do this and blah, blah, blah. He's an idiot. Whatever. They're not idiots. They're multimillionaires. They're business mavens. They just don't give an F enough to do what you're doing. They're at a different phase in their life. And I think, you know, you take a poker player and they're playing a one, two cent game of, I don't know, any kind of game. It's not like you're going to be like, I'm studying to make the right place. You're going to be like, it's, it's three pennies I raise. You know, you don't care. You know? You want to put pressure for the fun or psychology or whatever it is. And so I think you're right. You get very rich people in lower state games and you're just going to, they're going to rain money on you. Well, it doesn't always hold true. I have played against like Ike Haxton and Vanessa Selbst in charity tournaments. And I'm going to tell you, they're going to, they're going to stare you down and try to make the optimal place. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the stakes are. If you came to me and we were playing like a charity natural gas trading game, right? Uh-huh. I'm going to win. I'm still going to play to win because you, we're, you're in my backyard. You're in my wheelhouse. I should win, right? Like if there was a charity boxing match and there is a charity boxing match being discussed that I cannot talk about yet, but with 
with Dan. The, the professional is coming to win. But I'm just saying, like, you know, they're going to come to win. So I think an Ike Haxton does not want to lose in a charity tournament. But if Ike Haxton was playing, um, I don't know, uh, charity dominoes, it's going to be a little bit different. Very right? good. Yeah. And um, is the Dan Blazarian uh, boxing match you can't talk about chess boxing? No, no. That would be great. Actually, that might be a twist I should mention on it. But yeah, it would be, it'll be, it'll be really fun. In your book, you write that your mom, an African-American woman who was born right after the Great Depression, told you that when you made your first million dollars, don't tell your grandma because she's going to worry about you losing it. Um, what happened when you won future millions? My grandmother was a mother of depression. She born in like post-depression. So that whole like, oh, you know, depression attitude was around there. But my grandmother was a child of depression era. And, and it was just like, don't tell her that you made that much money. It all, she'll only just worry. I, which, it was like beyond me. I was like, they'll just worry that you're going to lose it or something like that. Well, I understand. I'm sure you're getting a lot of resistance to your ideas from people who think that it's reckless, but you do tackle that in your book. So I recommend you guys check it out. And thank you so much, Bill Perkins, for taking Ace-8 offsuit on the grid in a hand against Antonio Esfandiari, where he did die with zero, but he had a very good story out of it. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid. Go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast network. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings. They really do help. We also have a new mailing list, so go ahead and subscribe to that on thepokergrid.com slash subscribe. Finally, if you're looking for a way to support me and my projects, I'm the Women's Program Director at US Chess, and we're trying to equalize the field in the mind sports arena. You can go to uschess.org and pick a donation of any size. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid as we count down 169 hands. No one ever bust. They say I'm lucky. Oh no, no need to bluff. With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve. Yeah, I got talent.